This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So we are, we are, we are, we are a few days away from Rosh Hashanah. And I felt guilty not giving you a shit tonight because I slept two hours last night. I was in Cleveland last night. We opened up an Ornava in Cleveland. And um, I have to say that, you know, you have to give muster to yourself also. So I'm giving muster to myself because um, some nights, like especially Tuesday nights, after the share, I talked to guys on Wednesday nights, I talking to the girls. So I ended up going to sleep like at 2 o'clock, 2.30, 3 o'clock. Um, so I, I, I'm like, so I, if I get up late the next day, Hashem, listen, the night before I gave you, I gave you the whole night, Hashem. I was dealing with kids, right? So sometimes, once in a while, I wake up late those mornings, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, the night, the day, the morning after. And I'm like, oh, I missed my Kriyashma. I woke up at 9.30, whatever. If you feel I feel very bad that I missed my Kriyashma. But Hashem's going to forgive me because what were they doing the night before? I wasn't watching TV, going to movies. I was working with kids, you know? You make these excuses. Well, now I'm in very big trouble because last night, so we opened this Ornav in Cleveland, and I spoke from 8 o'clock, from a quarter to 8 to 11.15. Three and a half hours. I never, that much I never spoke in my life. I spoke to two different groups, but like one, one after another. So then afterwards, they asked questions, and I spoke to the people who were getting involved to open it. To make a long story short, I asked them to give me a hotel in the airport, because my flight this morning was at 6.35. Because I needed to get back to New York. So I took a 6.35 from Cleveland. It takes an hour. I'm, I'm here at 7.35. Now, to get the six, to make the 6.35 flight, you have to take the shuttle from the Best Western at 5.30 because it runs every hour and a half hour. So the next one will be 6.30 if I missed the plane. So I have to make the 5.30 shuttle, which meant that I had to get up at 5 o'clock, right, so that I don't miss the shuttle. I got to the hotel at a quarter to 3. And I had to take a shower and get myself together. So I ended up on my bed at a quarter after three with a wake-up call at five o'clock, which is an hour and 45 minutes. After traveling and speaking a whole day, I was so dead that I had no kayak. But I was up at five o'clock this morning, and I made that plane. So if you need to do something, if you feel that you have to do something, then you make sure that if you have to make Zman Kriyashma, even if you're up till three o'clock at night, Understand? You made the plane because you wanted to get here early because you had work to do. So I'm talking to myself. Nothing to do with any of you guys. And that's part of the shift from last week. You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do the mice, which you, you you learn from these situations. You know, over over night, of two hours sleep, but you want to get up. You know, in the morning, and you get up on time. If you have to go on a trip, and you want to make that plane. You can get up at five o'clock. But for anything else, anything to do with davening or anything else, you can't get up till ten o'clock. So I learned my lesson this morning. I was sitting on the plane. I'm like. It's Arab Rosh Hashanah, you know, I could have gotten up this morning at 9 o'clock in Cleveland also. Don't use this against me, you know, that I was up so early. But that, I think they do a lot of that in Shemayim, a lot of comparisons. In other words, my famous, you know, uh, Tishabov speech, do you treat me the way you treat your, you know, your ball games and everything else? And in your cell phone. So, I think they do a lot of comparisons. Because you can say, listen, uh, uh, I think late, I don't know if I'm going to get away with it, because I have this nasty dream that, that after 120 years, I'm going to come up to the next world, and I should be so lucky, they're going to say, Wallstein, Ganeiden. That's that's big, right? And I'm like, how do you get to Ganeiden? I say, the train to Ganeiden leaves 
at 9 o'clock. And I'm like, what time is it right now? And they're like, a minute to 9. And how far is the train? 10 minutes. Hey, in this world, you're always late, right? And of course, you get to the train station, the train's gone, and you're stuck. You can't get into Ganadin. So why? Because you always came late. So now in Shemaim, you're also late. You come on time, you know? So in a way, it works for you because if you're always late, if you're always late to davening and to every movie, right, you're ready 15 minutes early because you want to get a good seat, then you're going to get patch in the next world. Oh, to the movies, you're on time, and to davening, you're late. But if you're late to the movies, you're late to your biggest money meeting that you understand, you show up late to your biggest meeting, so then they can't have such big tightness that you're late to davening. But there are people that, you know, for everything else, they're on time for davening. I told a guy this week, because um, there was a guy that I knew, one of my Talmudians, so I could talk to him. So, you know, now you have slichus. We have slichus. You guys have, the smart have it a while. But we have slichus. And then you have davening. And if there's laning, so you could be, you could be in shul for an hour and 20 minutes. So, one of my Talmudians, I was davening in Landau's, and I see him wrapping up his fill-in, mamish right after Shimon Esrei. So you have to be davening chaskurs, yeah, maybe, you know, whatever. But, you know, he's my Talmud, so I have a right to tell him something. So, I said, what are you, I walked out of shul, he walked out of shul, I said, what are you doing? They didn't even say Asher yet. You know, like, what are you doing? He says, ah, I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't be in shul so long. I can't. I'm getting crazy ready. I'm like, I just want to know, how are you going to give Din V'cheshman? When was the last time you walked out with ten minutes left in the movie? Imagine you're sitting and watching a movie for two hours, right? And the last twenty minutes you walk out, you wasted your money. You had the whole build up. And then when it came to the end of the movie, when you have the, what, the, you know, what happened, you weren't there. Everybody would tell you, go for the last 20 minutes of the movie and figure out what happened two hours before. Right? I'm, I'm, you buy a book. Right? You go to Barnes and Noble, you buy a book, and you read this book, and it's Mamish getting to, is he going to get killed? Is he and then all of a sudden, you get to the last chapter, and it's a printing mistake. And all the pages in the last 10 pages, they're all blank. You, you're sitting there, it's like, the whole book is worthless if you don't have the last 10 pages. So I'm like, what's the end of, what's the end of davening? What do you say at the end? What are the two words you say at the end of davening? Oleinu l'shabeach, like four words, l'adoinakol. I said, the end of your davening, the summation of your davening, right? Oleinu l'shabeach, it's upon us to praise l'adoinakol, the master of the world. No, no, no. You ran out after Shmon Esrei. You didn't get to the whole, you get to the point. And Hashem wants to know, how come Avrami is not saying, then I call all the kashes in between. So I said, I'm just telling you that I know you go to movies and you better have missed the last 20 minutes of a lot of movies if you've been missing the last part of davening because that's what they're going to show. They're going to say, why did you miss it? You're going to say, I have no patience because in Shemayim the Sultan is a great lawyer, right? So you're going to get up and you're going to say, why every 20, every davening you were out 20 minutes early? Chayamul is going to say, they're not going to lie, he's going to say, I don't have the patience, I'm ADD. I don't have the patience to sit so long with slichus with everything. Really? How long is slichus in the whole davening? An hour and 20 minutes. Let's go to the videotape. Three weeks ago, you went on a Matzah Shabbos to a movie. It was two hours and 24 minutes. You didn't even get up to go to the bathroom. You sat there for two hours and 24 minutes. You didn't even blink. You were sitting there with your eyes wide open. So how could you tell us you don't have patience for an hour and 20 minutes. That's how judgment is done in the next world. Don't think that excuses, you know, people come to Rosh Hashanah, oh, don't worry, 
Excuses, excuses are going to work. Excuses in the next world don't work. Because they use it against you, what you do. They use it against you. So if you sit in a movie to the end of the movie, you sit in a ball game for three and a half hours, a giant football game, and it's tied, or there's overtime, or they're in extra innings, and you're sitting there in a, in a baseball game, I've sat in them 14 innings, 15 innings, and what's his name on, on the radio saying, and the Yankee game is now three hours and 42 minutes long. And you got 20,000 Mr. Gomes sitting there for three hours and 42 minutes, but those people have no patience to them. So it's it's a din and a cheshbin. The cheshbin that a person gives in Rosh Hashanah is they compare your deeds to your davening to your movies, and they better match up. So that doesn't mean that I want you to leave the movies from now on, 20 minutes early. It means I want you to stay in davening for the until the end of davening. So there's a very famous, I love this story. When I heard the story, I used to sell the story all over the place. There's a very famous, some of you guys here know it, I'm sure, very famous excuse story. But everybody thinks, when they come to Shemayim, that, yeah, don't worry, I'll have an excuse. Don't worry. I hear it, I'll have an excuse. Don't worry. He'll understand. Hashem will understand. I have an excuse. So the famous excuse story. You have to be a little awake to hop the excuse story. So there's this guy who comes up to heaven, and the, the, he's standing in front of the three rabbis, the Bezdin, and they ask him, how come you never went to shul? Your whole life you never went to shul. He says, it's not my fault. Why isn't it your fault? I don't know how to read Hebrew. What am I going to do in shul? I don't know how to read, I guess the story is for Atchkal. I don't know how to read Hebrew, so what am I going to do in school? In shul. Why don't you know how to read Hebrew? My parents never sent me to yeshiva. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. He's sitting there thinking, okay, now what are they going to do? So Bezin's thinking, what do we do to this guy? To send him to Ganeiden, to heaven, he doesn't deserve he never went to shul. He never daven. He never learned. Thank you very much. Remind me after this year, Rabbi Gamliel sent honey for all you guys. Took a box of honey and he gave a special bracha to the boys of my Chabura that used this honey for your apples on Rosh Hashanah. This is from Rabbi Gamliel Gebench from Mekayan. So remind me, I have a hundred of them here. Remind me to make sure that I give it to you. Okay. Anyway, thank you, Divi, my son-in-law. So, Bezin doesn't know what to do. We're going to send him to Ganeiden. The guy never davened. You can't get something you don't deserve in the next world. We're going to send him to Gehenna, to hell. He doesn't deserve to go there because his parents never taught him how to read. So what do we do? So they came up with a brilliant idea in Shemayim. We're going to give him a passport. This passport says so-and-so at any time that he wants is allowed into heaven. And also, at any time that he wants is allowed into Gehenna. Everyone who knows what Gehenna is, right? I don't have to translate it. The prefix of hello. Anyway. So, <laughs> drop the O, and that's what Gehenna is. So, and most people go to Gehenna, they say, oh, okay, whatever, it's not stupid. <laughs> stupid. So, so, oh, that's Gehenna. Okay, anyway. So, thank you for laughing. So anyway, so, he has a choice to go wherever he wants. So, everyone knows that heaven is the best place to go. Ganeiden, right? It's fantastic. So what does he do? He goes to Ganeiden, and there's a big malach standing there, and he comes up to the malach and says, I, so-and-so, I'm here to go to Ganeiden. Malach says, you can't come into Ganeiden. You have to have shluchim. They bring you into Ganeiden. Two messengers. He says, no, I don't need messengers. I'm different. I have a passport. Malach says, a passport? What's a passport? Never heard of a passport. He says, it's a whole story. My parents, that, that. Here it is. He gives him the passport. The Malach opens it up. He reads it. 
So-and-so at any time that he wants can go to and come from heaven. So-and-so anytime he wants can go to and come from Gehenna. Okay? So he says, okay, let him in. He has access everywhere. He comes into Shem- he comes into Ganeiden. You know, for some people, Ganeiden is Gehenna. Because what are they doing in Ganeiden? They sit and learn. So imagine a person who didn't learn in this world at all. Because whatever you understand in this world, you automatically understand in that world. A person never learned in this world. So now they say, oh, you're a good guy. You saved a person's life. You died for the Jewish nation. Whatever it is, we're going to put you in Ganeiden. And you sit there and, and, and you're listening to a shit and you don't understand a word the person's saying. So sometimes that Ganeiden can be Gehenna for the same person. Anyway, he comes into Ganeiden and he looks around and he doesn't recognize anybody. Because all the guys are sitting in Ganeiden, they weren't his chevra. So he's like, it's very nice and it's very peaceful, but I don't know anybody here. So he comes back to the gate of Ganeiden. You guys ever heard this? Okay. Comes back to the gate of Ganeiden. It's a fantastic story. Comes back to the gate of Ganeiden and the Malach standing and says, nobody can leave Ganeiden whenever they want. You're in Ganeiden. He said, by the way, there's these shruffing like these, the, the upside down, upside down swords and all kinds of Malach and you can't go or come like you want. So he says, oh, remember me, I got the passport, I can go in and out. The guy says, oh, you're the guy with the passport. Everybody in Shemayim is talking about it. First guy to ever get a passport in Shemayim. You want to leave Ganeiden? Okay, leave. Okay. He leaves, he comes to Gehenna. He comes to the gate of Gehenna. Big, black, malach, mean looking thing. He says, what are you doing here? You can't come into Gehenna unless someone brings you. He says, oh, I guess you didn't hear about me. I'm special. I have a passport. He says, a passport? What's that? He says, here, read it. Opens it up. Anytime, someone, Chaim Ben Yisrael, whatever, can come to Gehenna, can go to Gehenna, can do whatever he wants. He lets him in. He lets him in. As he walks in, it turns into, it turns into Shabbos. And all the fires go out. So here he is in Gehenna, and he recognizes this guy in Gehenna. He's in Gehenna. He recognizes this old friend. Oh, you're here too. And you're here too. And they're like, what are you doing here? He's like, I have a passport. And they're like, What? I could leave here any time I want. I could come and go. And they're like, they're, they're, their tongues are hanging out like, wow, you're so lucky. How did you get a passport? He says, it's easy. You come to heaven and you give excuses. You give an excuse. They take your excuse and they, and they give you a passport. They're like, oh, if we would have known that, 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 we would have given an excuse. Anyway, the fires are off. Friends tell them, listen, it's very nice the next 24 hours. But you don't want to be here when Shabbos is over. When they turn these fires back on, you don't want to be here. He says, no problem. Two minutes before Shabbos is out, I'm going to go to the Malachim and I'll get out. Fine, they're sitting there, they're talking, they're hanging out. They're serving them children, they're cooking, because Shabbos is Shabbos in the next world. The Zayah says, Shabbos is Shabbos. Two minutes before Shabbos is up, he gets up, he says to his friends, guys, it's been nice. I'll see you in a week. Because he's not going to sit there when the fires are on. See you later. And they're like, oh man, we can't believe you got away with this excuse. It's like such a lame excuse, you can't read. But wow, it's amazing. Anyway, he comes now to the, to the gate of Gehenna to get out. There's a new Malach standing there. He's changing the guard. Malach changes, where do you think you're going? He goes, I can't believe it. every five minutes I gotta tell you guys what's going on over here. He says, nobody, says the Malach, leaves Gehenna. Nobody. Until his time is right. He goes, but I'm not nobody. I am a somebody. And I have a passport. Malach says, a passport? What's a passport? He goes, Nachamah. You gotta go through this again. He says, I can go and come wherever I want. He says, the Malach says, let me see your passport. Takes out the passport and gives it to the Malach. 
Malach goes like this. This is such an amazing story. He gives it to the Malach, the Malach goes like this. And flings it into the fire. And the passport burns up. Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? What's wrong with you? Can't you read what it said? It said, I can go in and out whenever I want. Malach says, oh, I'm really sorry. I never learned how to read. Ow. Ow. You think your excuse is going to help you in the next world? They're going to use it against you. Ow, is this a story? This is the story of all stories. I can't read. Have a nice day. You're not getting out of here. You think you're going to come up to Shemayim and outsmart them up there. It don't work. It doesn't happen. No excuses in the next world. And we're coming into Rosh Hashanah. Forget the excuses. Make it happen. Do what you got to do. But excuses don't work. They don't work. They take the passport. Whatever you say, I don't understand. The Malch will say he doesn't understand. Whatever you're going to say, everything in the next world is Mida. Can I get Mida? Okay. That's a very cute story. I don't, I'm surprised you guys don't know it. Okay. Now, in in the Rambam, there's a thing called Hilchas Tshuva. I don't have time tonight to learn with you all the different parts of it, but there is some I, some some I must learn with you so that you don't fall into this pit. And anyone, I know there's no one in here that I'm talking to. I'm just putting it out there so that if you know somebody, you could tell them about it. Don't get depressed. You got to do what you got to do. Well, let's let's see what it says here. Arba ve'esrim dvarim, twenty-four things. Ma'akfin es tshuva, stop a person from doing tshuva. Arba mehem oven gadol, four of them are very big averis. There are four sins. It's very important for a person to know. There are, you can't go into a football game if you don't know what the other team is like. You got to do your scouting. This is a scouting report on how to live your life and 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 what a hate, what a sin can do to a person. The Elohim. These four sins, if you do it, Hashem will make sure. That you're not going to get the red light. You're not going to get the chance to do tshuva. Why? Because they're so big. So now, what would you think is like a huge error? Hamachti es haramim. A person who causes a lot of Jews to sin. Or you don't cause them to sin, but you stop them from doing a mitzvah. There's a whole group of guys. You invite them to a party. And there's trade for food or girls or whatever it is. And you cause this robin to sin, Hashem is not going to let you be forgiven. Why do you think that, boys? Why do you think that? So in my mind, I'm thinking because if I want to go do drugs, I'm giving you an example of drugs, not, not an example in an Avera. If I want to be a drug addict, whatever, I'm going through stuff, I want to get high, I want to do drugs, so I'm not a bad guy. You're not going to call a drug addict a bad guy. It's not a bad guy. A drug dealer is a bad guy. A drug pusher is a bad guy. But the guy that uses the drugs, Nebuch. Nebuch is a drug addict. It's a Nebuch. But the guy that's selling the drugs, right? even the guy you understand, that the guy who's selling the drugs is going to jail. The guy that's using the drugs is going to jail for overnight. The guy that's selling the drugs is going to jail for a long time. Why? 
Because he's a machti. He, he, he's not doing what he's doing for enjoyment. And drugs is not a good example because the drug dealer makes money. The drug dealer who's giving drugs out for free is what I'm talking about. So, a guy's going to a party, right? And he's going to meet a girl. So, he has his taiva, his lust. He wants to do a sin, right? He wants to satisfy his lust. But if he takes another guy with him to bring that other guy to do an Avera, he's not satisfying anything in his for him. He's just destroying this other person. Hashem says, I don't forgive that. I don't forgive when you take another person and you take them down. That's not, that's not for you. And in fact, what you're, the statement that you're making is, because Baruch Hu, me, I'm doing an Avera. It's not because I don't believe in you. It's not because I'm angry at you. It's not because I want to get you, Hashem. I'm doing it because I want to do this Avera. I'm a lustful person. I have taiva. But if you get someone else to do an Avera, you're doing that just to hurt Hashem. Because it's not satisfying your taiva that you got your friend to do the Avera. And therefore, a person who's machti, a rabbin, causes a lot of other people to go down, that person is not forgiven. So a guy needs to know, sometimes you think, listen, misery loves company, you know? I'm going to this bad place, I don't want to go there alone, I want to take my friend with me. But you want to take your friend down, you should know that for your sin of what you're about to do, you can be forgiven, you can do tshuva. But for his sin, you can't do tshuva. This is what the Rambam says, and, and we, we're not careful in this. So we're having fun, oh, you come along with me. The machti for making someone else sin, Hashem's not, not that you can't do tshuva. If you did tshuva, you'd probably be forgiven, but Hashem's going to make sure that you're not going to be able to do tshuva. So that's, that's number one. Number two, hamate es chavero miderech toiva. It's all about chavero. Hamate es chavero miderech toiva. You see your friend's doing something good. He's putting on tefillin every day. And you're like, what do you need the stupid tefillin? Come on. Looks like you're taking your blood pressure every day. What are you doing? Who needs this? Right? So you're, you're, you're not, not, it's not that you're not, not that you're not behind him, but you're against him and you're trying to talk him out of it. If you're going Mesech Mediach, a person who causes other people to do Avaydazara, he's also not forgiven. This, when I learned this to prepare this share, this blew me out of the door on what I'm about to tell you. I, I don't know, I don't understand, I don't have time. I don't understand why this is listed in the four things that Hashem doesn't forgive you. Number three. Haraya Benai, a person who sees his son, Yaitse Latabis Ra, going off the Derech, the Eno Mimchamiyadai, and he doesn't criticize him. Is that on the level of, a, of another guy causing someone else to sin? The Rambam says, person who sees his children going off the Derech, the Eno Mimchamiyadai, and he doesn't criticize him. Hoyo Ubinai Bishusai. Said the Rambam, we're talking about a son that you have power over, and you could stop him. Of course, if your kids not listening to you, then that's not what we're talking about here. He says, and he goes further. He says, it doesn't have to be your son. If you're able to stop others, you 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 could stop people. You have the power to talk guys out of it. You, you, they would listen to you, and you don't talk them out of it. You won't have a chance to do tshuva. And the fourth one is, I'm going to do that there, but I'm going to do tshuva. I'm going to, I'm going to do something wrong, but then I'm going to do tshuva. That we know Hashem never gives him a chance 
um, to do tshuva. I'm going to sin. Eh, you're my kippur mechaper. You know, when your kippur comes, we'll get rid of it. Hashem won't give him a chance. He'll get sick on your kippur. He won't be able to do tshuva. Okay. Let's go to the good stuff. Okay. He says there are five things, fascinating, Rambam says this, there are five things on the opposite side that they're so, they, they look like there's so little of Averis, there's so nothing, that people don't do tshuva on them. Not that Hashem won't let you do tshuva, but you don't think it's anything. You don't know what an Averis, you don't think it's anything. What are these five things? He sins and he doesn't think it's a sin. Ready? Here we go. If a person goes to eat a meal, you go to someone's house for Shabbos and they don't have enough food for themselves. And you know that. And you eat their food. Knowing that you're going in Israel to this poor family, they don't have enough food. If you're going to eat the pizza bread, all the other kids are not going to get the pizza bread, right? So you say, I didn't steal. I didn't steal anything. They put it down on the table. What do you want from me, right? I don't, therefore, you don't think it's Geneva? He says, the person who does that, it's Avak Gezel. It's called Avak Gezel. It's the dust of stealing. He thinks he didn't sin. He didn't eat anything. The guy put it on the table. What do you want from me? He won't be able to do truth on this. Let's skip the next one. Oh, here's a big one. Number three. Everybody wake up for this one. Hamistakel ba'arayas. Some, someone who looks at things that are immoral. I'm going to read it from inside. I hope they don't take me to Torah any time for this. Hamistak is a Rambam. If anyone wants to look it up afterwards, it's in Perek Dalid, Seif Gimel. Hamistakobarayas, a person who looks at immoral things, a boy who looks at a girl that's not serious, Maladata Sheimbakaklum. This is so true, it's scary. He thinks it's not a big deal that I'm looking at girls and pictures and movies. Alti? Did I uh, do anything physically to her? Or Karafti Etzlo? Or am I near this girl? I'm looking at a magazine. She's not even alive. It's a picture. I'm watching a movie. It's not real. There's no person in the in the in the, in the DVD that I'm watching, right? So what other am I doing? Am I touching her? I'm not touching her. She's not even alive. It's a picture, right? So am I near her? I'm watching some girl on television. They're filming in California, and I'm in Brooklyn. What could happen? You know, watching the beauty. What could happen? Nothing could happen. It's a television show, Rabbi. Rambam, written a long time ago. So he says, "Hamistak of Arayis Malal Dante Sheein B'Kachlum." He thinks it's nothing. The Chiba Alti, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mess with her. Like Karafti, I didn't go near her. Who any day says the Rambam, but he doesn't know Shariyas Einayim Avoyin Gadol that looking at at pictures of. People that are not dressed correctly is a huge avera. Lufish who goy remes lugufo in shalarayis. 
Because in the end, it's going to bring you to do immoral acts. Shenema Unbelievable. Okay. Onward. I'm looking for a specific one. <coughs> Okay, he also talks about um, Okay, but this is more Benalun Khalero, Lashin Hara, Rahil Lashin Hara, anger, someone who has a temper, someone who hangs out, who chills and hangs out with Rashaim. He says these people are not gonna not gonna find it easy to to do Truva. But he says, all these things that I mentioned, you can anything like it. Even though they hold back Chuba, you can still do Chuba. It's going to be hard to do Chuba, but if you get to do Chuba, whatever skills you have that you get to do Chuba, because the bottom line is, nothing at all stands in front of Chuba. Nothing. When the person finally does tshuva, they have the power to sit to stand for Shoshana and erase everything. Okay. I see that you guys are all falling asleep because any time I read from text, that's what happens. I have to be screaming and yelling at you to keep you up. Okay. There, really, there is um, there is a lot, a lot in Hilchus tshuva. If you really want to see some fascinating thing in Perik Shemini, it tells you a little bit what goes on in the next world. Pretty, pretty scary. Um, it's very interesting. It's really, if you have time, Rosh Hashanah, or a little bit before Rosh Hashanah, look at, look at Periches and Periches. Talks all about Ganadin and Gehenim. Okay. We're not going to do that tonight. Alright. So, using your eyes to see things that you're not supposed to, is considered, by Akash Baruch is considered, like, the, the Zaya says, Zaya says that that using your using your eyes can satisfy your lust, and if you see the Goyim, Lahabdal Elf of Dalais, they call them girl watchers. They stand in Manhattan and they watch every girl that walks by. What are you watching? She's not even looking at you. You're uh, you're one ugly guy looking at these women. They're not. They don't care. You're not going to have anything to have to do. So what are you looking at them for? Zaya says that a person through his eyes can satisfy his lust, his taiva. So he holds that you can mamish. You can mamish be, you can do an avera with your eyes. And the, and the Kabbalah brings down, we learned, you know, that they take your eyes afterwards and they smash them in your kever, and that you come back in a gilgo as a bird. There's a certain bird that has a kayak to look at another bird, and, 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 and that's how it mates, just with its eyes. And then you're stuck. I saw, I saw in the Seifu Gugulim, and I got a dog all nervous this week. Um, shouldn't learn Seifu Gugulim. He says something so scary. He says that when a person comes back as a Gilgal in an animal, when, when a person comes back as a Gilgal in a person, they wipe out your memory. So you, you don't know who you were last time. All of us are all Gilgulim in this room. We're all not new. We're all here to fix. We're reincarnated. We're reincarnated. We're all back. Maybe some of you guys were my Rebbe last time. Who knows, right? But we're serious. We're all back because we're, there is something to fix. He says, but if you come back as an animal, the neshama in the animal knows that it's a neshama. In other words, it's a human neshama that they didn't, part of its punishment is that they didn't erase its memory. So when you look at a dog, 
there's a human soul in that dog that's trapped in that dog and knows that it's in that dog. It didn't have its memory erased. And it's terrible suffering. And he says sometimes in the shum it's squeezed into the back of a fly and it knows it's stuck in that. It's, it's like the pain is like not normal. If it's got shum and gilgul in a, in a stone or a plant, in the plant, in the apple, the person's stuck in the apple. And it goes through all the pain of growing and from the ground, from a tzameach to a diamond, whatever. It's, it's, it's very scary. Rashid Chachma talks about it. It's, it's, it's very scary stuff. Anyway, nobody's going to be, going to be Gilgul, but who wants to go, come back? Who wants to come back? You want to do your job and you want to go to the next world. So I heard a very beautiful story this week from my Talmud, um, Yehuda Stern. He said there was a Rebbe, Chassidish Rebbe, he was traveling with 40 of his Chassidim in uh, one of these dark, one of these little villages. And it was late one night, they got to this village, and it was pouring, it was freezing, and it was pouring. It was cold and raining. So there's this one house that was mamish just like built, right? They throw a mezuzah. So they knock, so the chassidim, the, the gabai knocks on the door. The guy opens the door, mamish a brand new house. Just did the wood floors, it's just, you know, just new. And it's pouring outside, and this guy opens the door. And he says, who are you? He says, well, I'm here with 40 guys. And the Rebbe, could we come in? It's cold, it's raining, could we come into your house? He says, I would really love to let you guys come to the house. I just finished my floor. I can't let 40 of you guys come into the house and run mud through my floor. I got new Persian carpets. I'm sorry, I can't help you. So, he, so the guy says, well, at least could you take the Rebbe? I understand you can't take the Chassidim, but the Rebbe is one guy. At least let him come into the house. He says, the Rebbe I'll take. So the Rebbe comes into the house. He sits down at the table. This Jewish guy makes him a tea. And the Rebbe says, all the Chassidim are outside freezing in the mud. And the Rebbe says, okay, I want to tell you a story. He tells this guy who didn't let anyone else in the house. So I want to tell you a story. Sure, a Rebbe's story, Chassidish story. Sure, I want to hear a story. He said, there was a guy, he was a Paritz. He's a miserable person. Did every Avera that you could imagine. So one day, he was going along the road, and a wagon turned over. And he saw that under the wagon was a family, a woman, a husband, children, and everybody was like, just mixed up. Nobody was helping them. This Paritz got off his horse, took the wagon, straightened it out, saved the kids, saved the wife, Saved the, the, the husband, but when he, when he did it, he had to jump in, because they were like stuck in the mud, like in a mud, like in a, in a mud pie. So he had to, this part, this guy was a part, he was a duke, whatever he was, dressed up. He jumped in with all his clothing, and he pulled them out in the mud, and his clothing was full of schmutz. It was full of mud, and it bothered him. He was cleaning it off the whole time. It was bothering him that me, you know, even though he saved them, I had to get myself dirty. You know, one thing to save someone, but to get dirty? Saving someone? Nah, that I didn't want to do. He says, after 120 years, this guy died. And he comes to the next world. And they have that scale. You know my famous scale. They have the scale. And they tell the pirates, okay, we're going to judge you now. All the Averis, all the Averis of the pirates that he did wrong, get on the scale. This guy did so many Averis. The scale is like to the roof. Forget about it. It's like a million tons on the scale. So, okay. He says, okay, now let all his mitzvahs get on the scale. She has one big mitzvah that he saved five people. Huge mitzvah. Saved one life is a huge mitzvah. So, being that he saved his whole family, they pile on to the other side. All 
all the whole family, all the things. So even though even though it's such a big mitzvah, this guy did so many averis that the averis still outweighed the mitzvahs. So they said, you're in big trouble. It looks like you're going to Gehenna. To hello. So he's like, somebody's got to help me out here. All of a sudden, the angel comes out and says, hold on. When he jumped, into the mud to save the family, he got himself full of mud. All the mud that's on his clothing, part of the mitzvah he did. Let's take the mud and put it on the scale also. There's a lot of mud. So they take the mud and they put it on the scale. But even after they put the mud on the scale, still the Averis are outweighing the mitzvahs. So this parrot is screaming, more mud, more mud, come on, give me more mud. More dirt, more sweat, more mud. But there wasn't any. And he ended up going to Gehenna. So the Rav, the Rebbe, turned to this guy that was sitting there and he said, there's a lot of chassidim out there. There's a lot of mud out there. I don't know, it's coming Rosh Hashanah. If I were you, I would... So this guy goes and he opens the door. I heard this story, it's a beautiful story. He opens the door and he's like, everybody in my house... And bring as much mud as you can with you. you Got to get dirty doing the mitzvah. Got to get dirty. You got to sweat. You get your hands dirty. You got to be part of it. Because everything that you used to do that mitzvah goes on the scale of Rosh Hashanah with you. Everything. Don't say when the mother says, "You know, can you take this out for me?" Oh, Chaim, do me a favor. I'm tired. You take it out. Because that garbage that you're taking out that goes on your scale. It's not, see, I didn't realize that, but it's not just that you listen to your mother when she told you to take out the garbage. The garbage itself goes on the scale. So if you're schlepping a 50-pound garbage, you're screaming, what do I have to schlep this for? Why do you make it five different bags? When you find out in Shemayim, you're screaming from Shemayim, oh my goodness, give me more garbage, more mud, more garbage, more mud. That's a mitzvah. That's the umul, that malus, and a person who does a mitzvah, he takes to the next world. It's going to be, it's a court case. It's a crazy, crazy court case. We're all in it. Now, I don't get away with it. Nobody here gets away with it. We're all in this court case. And you got, now we got, we had, when I first started teaching, L. We had 30 days. Nobody did nothing. Then we had two weeks. Nobody did nothing. Now we got two days. What are you waiting for? You waiting for Ever Rosh Hashanah? Then you wait for Rosh Hashanah? What are we waiting for? We got to do stuff. We got to change. We, we, we got a court case in two days. And there's evidence all over the place on us, boys. There is so many tapes and so much evidence written and filmed that we wrote ourselves. We write in the book. Every time you do an Averi, your Neshama brings out in Kabbalah that every night when you go to sleep, your Neshama goes up and writes in a book everything you did that day. What a friend, huh? Everything you did that day. So that when the, when the prosecution comes to get you, they don't say, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. That's not how it works in Shemayim. They say, he wrote the book. He wrote he did this. He wrote he did this. He wrote this. You can't deny what you said. You wrote it every night. You wrote, I did so and so. So the Satan doesn't say, Chaim did so and so. Satan says, Hashem, let me, let me bring to you what Chaim said he did. And every single night on the Shema writes what we did that day. Good and bad. Kivnei Moran, says the Mishnah. Every single person is judged separately. We're not judged as a group. We're judged like a bunch of sheep. When they count each one, they don't let two go at one time. 
It's a very big day. We need to start doing something. We need to do something new in the next two days. I don't know. I can't tell you what to do. Stay five minutes extra in shul. Start taking on yourself to say, Take on yourself to learn one Mishnah after Dominic. I'm not telling you what to do. But take on something new so that when you stand in court on Rosh Hashanah and they're saying, Live dead, live dead. And then the Shama is saying, What do you mean? Next year, what do you quarter? I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn five Masechtas. I'm going to be half an hour early done. And they're going to say, Okay, track record, baby. Everything goes by a track record. Let's see what you did this year. Let's see if you kept your word from last year. You don't have a track record. You don't have what we call Nemanis. You don't have belief. How do you build up, anyone here, how do you do a Ponzi scheme? Not that I would know. Right? But how do you do a Ponzi scheme? Very simple. If I want to borrow from my, if I want to rip off my Chabura, I want to rip you guys off. Right? I'm going to go to you guys right now. Some of you maybe, some of you not, and say, listen, do me a favor. I'm not doing well in business. It's the few scheme. Lend me a thousand dollars. He probably would say yes, but okay. But most of you are going to like, maybe $1,000, right? So I'm not going to walk out of here with $1,000. From I have 60 guys in here, I'm not walking out of here with 60 grand. But I need 60 grand. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go, guys, I'm putting out a plate. I need a favor. I need everyone. If you can lend me $20, I promise you that within, by the time you come back here next week, you'll have your $20. Everybody in this room, I believe, would put $20 in that plate. But some guys would be thinking, I don't really know what I'm Wallstein. But $20, what's $20, right? Let's see if he pays back. Next Wednesday, everybody gets their money back. Two weeks later, listen, boys, I paid you back. I need 50. Can I get 50 from each guy? All right, Rebbe, pay back mom. The day, the day of, 50. Two weeks later, we made up it's going to be, I pay you back. Then it's 100. You get very, you get very comfortable with me. That's how it works. And that's how you build a credit line. It doesn't make sense, right? I never understood this. I know someone that pays for everything by check. He doesn't like credit, cash and check. He doesn't like to owe. There are guys that don't like to owe anybody anything, right? Now this guy went ahead, he had to buy a house. So he owes nobody in the world one dollar. He has never owed a person, doesn't have a mortgage, buys his car, doesn't lease his car. He owns everything. Does not owe a penny. Comes to the bank, and I'm sure you, some of you have been through this. Comes to the bank, sits down, wants to buy a house. The mortgage, $200,000. So you figure, $200,000, the guy doesn't owe one penny, he's going to get a mortgage. No. You have no credit history. Now, the other guy comes to the same bank. He has 40, he comes out, he's got 40 credit cards. He's got three cars that are leased, Right? He owes right now, he's been paying on time, but he owes right now two and a half million dollars to 40 different credit cards, right? He's got mortgages on his building, on his house, on his boat, on his car. He's already out four million dollars. Comes to the bank and says, I want to buy a house. I need a $400,000 mortgage. Let's see what your score, 800. You got it. One second. This guy owes four million dollars. He might be paying on time, but he owes $4 million. This guy owes nothing. Why would you let the guy who owes $4 million, right, lend him the money, and you're not lending him the money? This guy's clean. He's perfect. And the answer is, you don't have a credit history. We're going to stand on Rosh Hashanah, and the Malach, the Satan, is going to say, him, he wants life, he wants a wife, he wants Parnassa, Hashem, he's not going to pay. He's not going to keep the mitzvahs. He has no credit history. He didn't build it up. 
So the 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 Svarim say, every Yom Kippur, take on one little mitzvah. Don't take on anything too big. You start borrowing small. It's like I'm just going to do this little mitzvah. I need a little help. I'm going to do this little mitzvah. He keeps it. Now I need a little bit something bigger. He keeps it. I need a little bit bigger. So now when you come to Shemayim, right? Even though you owe Shemayim more than the other guy, because Hashem gave you more than the other guy. So really, right? The other guy who has nothing when it comes to Shemayim, they should give him a lot more. No, the guy that has more than the other guy, he's getting he's getting more. Why? Because there's a credit line. He's been keeping his word. He's been growing every Rosh Hashanah. A little bit. He didn't used to wear tzitzis. Now he's wearing tzitzis. He needs to go to Minyan. Not, he, he took on, I'm going to wear tzitzis. Go to Minyan. Keep Rabbeinu Tamsman. Keep, you know, Chol uh, Yisrael. That's not, that, that's asking for all that credit. One time, usually that you burn out. He says, Akash Bokhul, the Malak says, last year he took on, uh, he's going to be Mavah the Sedrash. He kept it. The year before that, he made up that he's not going to shower during the 18 minutes between Shabbos and, and sunset. He kept it. Little things. Little teeny things. Right? But you built yourself a credit line, boys. And when you have a good credit line, and your score in Shemayim is 850, then you can get a loan, even if you don't have the money to pay back. There's a Mishnah, by the way, in Pekka Yovostat explains this. That the books are open, they're lending the money, the people are going around, they're collecting the money. So a person, and you have, we have two days, take something, everyone in this room, Take something on in the next two days, something small that you're going to keep in the next two days. So at least you come to Shemayim with a little bit of a credit line. You start your credit line. Usually most our kids in college, you get that first $400 credit line from American Express. That's how you start your credit line. Then you pay, you borrow, you pay, you borrow, you pay, you borrow, you pay. Now it's an 800 credit line. You borrow, you pay, you borrow, you pay. It's the same thing in Shemayim. You borrow, you pay, you borrow, you pay, you borrow, you pay, and you develop a credit line. And that's what every person needs to do. We need, we have two days left, including myself. I've got a problem with the whole airport thing this morning. I got a big problem. I got a big problem because I have a problem getting up in the morning and I didn't have a problem this morning. I had three alarm clocks. I had my cell phone. My cell phone I put on my pillow because I knew that I've only slept in two hours. I had my cell phone. Downstairs, right, I told the best Western to give me a wake-up call and I told the girl because I, I really needed to be back. And if I missed that flight, the next flight was much later. I said, do me a favor. I used to go to fancy hotels in the old days, when I, they used to get comped, and when they had a wake-up call, right, because even in a casino, when you're doing everything wrong, you have to get up for davening. Because you have to daven in a minion, because that made you feel good that, you know, I'm doing, I'm in Vegas, but I go to minion, you know, so it's great, you know. There's a minion in the bar, so it's allowed. Okay, I, I, I'm talking about myself, right? So over there, right, if you were a player, and they called your room, and you, and you didn't answer, they sent a security guard to knock on your door until you wake up. Mr. Wallerstein, are you up? Nice, no? So if you don't hear the wake-up call, there's a guy standing at the door. And then, if you still don't wake up, he will use the master key to open the door. To stand there and say, are you okay? Is everything all right? Can I get you something? It's class. It's like, you know, sure, they want all your money, your pants, your shirt, your your your, your socks. Your house, your children, they want to take everything away from you. So they're very, very nice. So, so I have memories. So I didn't want to miss the plane. So the girl behind the counter, she says, um, can I get you? I walked in at a quarter to three. 
So she says, can I get you a wake-up call? And I thought I would shock her by saying 5 o'clock. Like, wow, you know, no, they don't get shocked. I'm like, can I get a 5 o'clock wake-up call? But do me a favor. I said, if it doesn't ring, if I don't pick it up, could you send a security guard upstairs to knock on my door? I'm in the Best Western in Cleveland, Ohio's airport. Hello, you're not in Vegas, you know? So I'm like, could you send someone up? She looks at me like I'm from Mars. Like, who sends someone up to knock on your door? Like, you know? She's like, well, she thought I meant her. You know, I'm like, she says, we don't have a security guard. And I can't leave my post. I said, no, no, I wasn't talking you have to go knock on my door. That's not what I was, that's not what I'm talking about. Right? So I had a cell phone alarm and had some crazy stuff on it. I had her calling me up and in my room, I had an alarm clock. But I didn't put the alarm clock, set it on music. Because sometimes, you guys, Baruch Hashem, you get to sleep. When you travel in business and you travel and you don't sleep a lot, sometimes you're so tired that the music you think is in your dream. I'm serious. So it doesn't wake you up. I don't know if it ever happened to any of you guys, but I've been that tired that Lemaisa, the music goes on, and you're so tired that it doesn't wake you up because you think it's in your dream. So what did I do this morning? I put it on a station, an FM, that was between two stations. So it was pure static. And I turned the volume to the loudest. So that, if you could imagine, at 5 o'clock, it was <laughs> like that. So I knew between the static and her calling me, and my cell phone, Baruch Hashem, has an alarm that has three settings. So I had it set for 5, 505, and 509. <laughs> so I had three alarms in my cell phone, a wake-up call from downstairs, and a static explosion. So how come, how come you don't do that every morning to come down into Hashem? I'm sitting on the plane, I'm like, oh wow, am I in trouble this Rosh Hashanah? How am I going to get out of this? How come every single morning, Rabbi Wallerstein, right, you don't have an alarm, well first of all, my wife would throw me out of the house, that's the first reason. Because <laughs> that static thing, would, she'd kill me, she'd kill me if I did that. But let's, let's say in the summer when she was in the bungalow colony, right? So how come to get up for davening, like seven o'clock minion or was seeking or whatever, you didn't have your alarm clocks, your alarm in your in your hand set for three things. Your alarm clock on the static because you know what? Because it wasn't that important to get up this morning. It was important because if I missed the plane, I missed the plane. Well, guess what? If you miss Man Kriyashma, but you can't take a later plane. You missed the only plane. If you die in Kriyashma this morning after. 9.43, you missed the plane. You missed the plane. And there is no other plane. So how come we don't feel that we have to have all these alarms going off because we're going to miss the plane? So that's the Din V'Cheshman on Rosh Hashanah. The Din V'Cheshman on Rosh Hashanah is how you treat your worldly things that better be how you treat your spiritual things. I, I'm not complaining. I'm talking about myself. I have, I have a problem now. I have a problem. How am I going to work this? I don't know exactly have to think what I'm going to tell Hashem. Like, how come you, how come you had five alarms? And for me, you don't have five alarms. I don't know. Well, I better wake up for sleep because he's right. Early, very early. Okay, I'll see you at five o'clock by land now. Oh, okay. Anyway, so, so we, we need to prepare in the next two weeks, everybody. We need to prepare in our heads, um, how we're going to come to this Bezdin, how we're going to come to this din, and what are we going to answer. Forget about excuses, we're going to get the passport deal. And, 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 and the reason that we blow shofar, I'm gonna end with this because I am exhausted, I am exhausted. And, um, I didn't want you to go into Rosh Hashanah 
with, with a substitute tutor giving tonight's share. So I felt that it's very important that I should give tonight's share. Um, I also felt that it's very important to prepare my boys because Chas Shalom, not that it would hurt me, I mean, I'd be lying if I don't say that, it would hurt me more if one of my Talmidim has a bad year because I speak to them and I know their life. So if, if I have to prepare someone for this Rosh Hashanah because it, it's, it's, everyone thinks they have a second chance. You have a second chance, but it's like, it's like the courtroom. I, I know someone that was just found guilty and he was sentenced. And now they're appealing. But the appeal takes two years. So even, even, even after the appeal, if they find him innocent, he spent two years in jail anyway. And it doesn't only take two years, it takes hundreds of thousands of dollars. It doesn't only take hundreds of thousands of dollars, but there's a 4% chance that the Court of Appeals will take the appeal. And he's got 10 years. So, thinking that Rosh Hashanah dipped the apple in the honey, let's make lots of money, you know, and, and having a nice time getting dressed up, and having a nice time Rosh Hashanah, and I'm not worried about Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is when I'm going to take it seriously. You don't understand that when you're judging Rosh Hashanah and they say, Chas Vashon, this person's not going to live through the year, your Yom Kippur has to be so crazy because Yom Kippur turns into the appeals court. And for the appeals court to overthrow the first judgment is much harder. So you need to get the first judgment innocent. Let the prosecutor try to get go to the appeals court and try to get it re- retrialed. Let him kill himself. Let him work on Yom Kippur. But if you start off with... And people don't take Rosh Hashanah seriously. They think it's a holiday. They don't take it seriously. It's, 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 a, it's a judgment day for a whole, the Mishnah says for the whole world. The whole Klai Yisrael. For, the whole, for everything. So, so you need to get your Rosh Hashanah done. So that's why I'm here tonight. Like you got to think for the next two days. Boys, and the Yitzhahara, he's the prosecutor. He knows. He's got he's to get you for the next two days. If he could keep all of us for the next two days doing Averas, he wins. He will come up with the craziest stuff that you won't believe in the next two days. Crazy stuff to stop you from going to Minion. Some girl that you haven't spoken to in six years is going to call you out of the blue. He's going to come up with every trick. And let me tell you, he has more tricks than an octopus. He's got tricks that are unbelievable because it's do or die in the next two and a half days. It's very serious time. Now we are setting up the case. Once you're in court, right, it's court. You got to, any good lawyer, he doesn't come to court with blank paper and says, all right, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see how good the other guy is. And then we'll figure out what happens. Don't, don't give me that lawyer. That's a loser. Lawyer comes, he's got, if he's going to say this, then I'm going to say this. And if I have to say this, I got papers to back up this. But if he comes with that, there's a case in 1940 that's exactly like this. And I'm going to compare the two. That's a lawyer. He comes to the case prepared. The case, the case is Shabbos. Today is Tuesday. The case is coming up in three days. You're not prepared. Including me. We're not prepared. You need to prepare the next week. How do you prepare? You start going over all your weaknesses, all your averus. And what am I going to say in Rosh Hashanah? How am I going to answer? And if I don't have an answer, am I going to cry? Does anyone here know what shofar is? I know you're hearing it since you're a kid, but let's, let's talk mano a mano in this room. All right, we got all tzaddikim. All you guys are tzaddikim. Mano a mano. Is there anyone in this room 
that when you hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, it makes you tremble? Give me a break. Is there anyone in this room that when you hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, it makes you cry? Is there anyone in this room that changes emotionally when that guy gets up and blows the shofar? Or we're all listening to be able to say at the end of davening, this year, you were really good. Or this year, oh my goodness, what happened to you? Or we shouldn't let the rabbi blow anymore. He got too old. The sounds are not so nice anymore. But who in this room, when they hear the shofar, cries? Who in this room, when they hear the shofar, trembles? It's a horn. The guy's blowing it. I don't know, some old Jewish custom. You tremble more in a scary movie than you do by the shofar. Yeah. You tremble more in the ninth inning when the when the game is tied and your team is about you don't know what's going to happen. It's bases loaded, three three and two, full count, two outs. You got all those butterflies in your stomach. Yeah. Or when you have an interview for work, you, oh, but here they're blowing the shine for who trembles? Nobody. Not nobody, but I don't. Until I heard a CD from Shim Shim Pincus. And he explained what the chauffeur is. We know the chauffeur is a memory for the aisle that, well, Taka want to say something very fascinating on the aisle, on the arcade that we say in Rosh Hashanah. The whole blowing of the chauffeur is a memory of that aisle, that horn. He said the chauffeur is an neshama crying. Nobody in this room has ever heard a neshama cry. Because we have physical ears. We hear people cry. Nobody ever heard a soul cry. If you heard a soul cry, you would faint on the spot. If you heard a soul cry, you would faint on the spot. Do you know what Shaifer is built of three things? Tekiah, Shvarim, Teruah. Tekiah is one long sound, Shvarim is three sounds, Teruah is nine sounds. Do you know what they represent? They represent the following. A person who is doing tshuva, he's standing in front of the Melech, Malchai, Amlachim, the king of all kings who gave me my eyes and gave me my ears and gave me my energy and gave me my life and I took my eyes and my ears and the life that he gave me and I, and I used it for everything that he hates. And I didn't use it for anything that he loves. I didn't use it for Tyra. I didn't use it for mitzvahs. I didn't use it for chesed. I did it for movies. I did it for girls. I used every aver in my body, every limb in my body. I used it for every taiva that you can imagine. My ears, instead of listening to Tyra, I listened to a bunch of hilarious rap music and disco music. I don't use disco music. And hip-hop, oh, hip-hop. And hip-hop, and hip-hop, and shmip-hop. And that's what Hashem gave me ears for. Well, sure, God gave you ears to listen to a bunch of chayas, right? To that culture. That's why he gave you ears. So you're going there, you're sitting in front of the king on Rosh Hashanah who gave you everything. And you abused everything. And you're sorry. And you want to cry. But you can't cry. We don't know how to cry. Guys, especially we don't know how to cry. So the shaifer helps us cry. Because what does the shaifer do? What is the long tekiah? The long tekiah... I'm going to say something that's a little harsh, but whatever. Uh, if anyone gets offended by it, excuse me. Your life is on the line, Rosh Hashanah. Your life. It's not, it's not your money. Your life. Everyone in this room, there are people that are not here. Last year they were here. They're not here. Last year they were in shul. Last year they heard my speeches. They're in the ground. They're not in this world anymore. So I'm not, you know, we're all here. We're all back. We want to be back here next year. We all want to be back here. 
So, the cry on Rosh Hashanah is a cry of hearing that someone passed away very close to you. Who is that person? You. Because if the judgment of Rosh Hashanah comes down, you're going to die that year, you're already dead. Because in the next world, there's no time. So if the judgment is settled, death, you're dead. Rosh Hashanah, the Mishnah says, we're judged for the first two is life and death. After that, if you're not alive, they don't have to judge you for rich, poor, pain, no pain, children, no children, getting married, not getting married, you're dead. All that stuff goes out the window. The first thing is Chaim Omavas. Nisana Taikif. Chaim Omavas. What are you crying for, Rosh Hashanah? You're crying. You just, what you, it's just like you heard that they said, terrible thing happened. Your closest person to you just passed away. So what would happen if they told you that? You should never hear such a thing. Because it's you. What would happen? You'd give out a yell. Tekiah. That's the sound of Tekiah. When someone hears, never. You should never hear such a thing. When someone hears that someone close to them passed away, they give out a long yell. That's the first reaction. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! You should never hear it. I heard it. You should never hear it. It's Kia. What's the next sound when it settles into that person that they just lost someone that they love? It's a shvarim. Oy vey, oy vey, oy vey. That's a shvarim. Three sounds. Oy vey, oy vey, oy vey. When someone would walk into this space medish right now, and someone that we love and we know, and he would say, All right, Rabbi Wallerstein, he's not here anymore, he's just in a car accident, he's gone. We'd all sit here, we'd go, Ay vey, ay vey, ay vey. It hurts. That's a, that's a shvarim. And the trua should never know from this. Kleisrol should never know from this. A person that cries a lot. It's hard for him to catch his breath. We did this especially when we were kids and we got smacked around a little bit and we cried a lot. You have that hiccup cry. <gasps> That's a chua. Those are the three sounds that you blow in shul. Because you might have passed away, Arashashana. Because they might have judged that you're gone. So when they blow the shaifar, they're blowing those three sounds. That's what has to be going on in your soul. Ay, vey! Ay, 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 ay. And if a person understands that that's what the shifer is, the shifer is a cry of a soul that a human can't hear normally. That's what the shifer represents. Then that person will do tshuva. That's what Shem Shem says. That's what shifer is. Tremble! When you hear the shayfar, the tears should be running down your cheeks. And let me tell you something. After I heard that cheer, I stand there by shayfar. I put the towels on my head. I don't want anyone to see me. And I cry for all the people that are not alive anymore. And all the people that are not going to be alive anymore the next year. And all the kids that are ODing. That shayfar is blowing for them. For the 25-year-old boy that they buried today in Miami. That died on Sunday and they couldn't get his body out. Because he was so full of drugs. One of our brothers. That's who we blow the shifer. That's what's blowing. It's not a game. It's not a toy. 
it's not how loud he blew it, even if he doesn't blow it, because the cold shofar is a very quiet sound in Shemaya. Very hollow sound. You don't need some young guy blowing his brains out. An old rogue who blows with the right kavanas. That's what you need. That's what counts. That's what the shofar is, everybody. It's not a joke. Your life is on the line. And we're just practicing it every single day in shul. And everybody's running away. They're not even there for Shaifer by Ladovin at the end of davening. Because nobody has patience. we got to get out of here. So they don't even hear the crying of their own soul. Because it's Ashwabotzion. i got to get out. It's too long. I'm not going to listen to the guy blow Shaifer at the end. It's too long. The Shaifer practice that we spend the whole Elo is to get used to listening to a soul cry. But if you're not in shul, how do you hear it? And who takes that serious in the morning anyway? That's the practice. But the practice of a soul crying, and really a soul crying, is not the same thing. And therefore, every Rosh Hashanah, there's a separation. Because, our, because before Rosh Hashanah, we're practicing. On Rosh Hashanah, we're dead. Or alive. And it's a very serious day. And some of us don't make it. Chas v'shalom. So therefore, we need to take it very seriously. And cold shoifer is the time to take a talus and put it over your head and to cry for your soul and cry with your soul and cry for all the people that are in a lot of pain. That's what those three sounds are. They're three very different sounds. The first sound that the key is when you, when you get the bad news is that long sigh, that long, oh no, oh no. And then the shwarm is, I can't, I can't believe this happened. And then when it sinks in and you have the truer, when you're crying so much that you, you, you can't breathe. That's the truer. And then comes the Tekiah Gedayla. The Tekiah Gedayla is a different Tekiah. Tekiah Gedayla, and we should all have this chutz this year. If the first Tekiah is real, and the Shvarim is real, and the true is real, then the Tekiah Gedayla is the Tekiah of Mashiach. It's not a crying tekiah. It's a it's a tekiah of simcha. And all the tefillah of Rosh Hashanah ends, everything, all the crying, all the tekiah, shvarim. What does shvarim mean? Shvarim means broken. It means broken. That's what it means. But if you, if you, if you go into Rosh Hashanah correctly, and you listen to Kol Shaifa correctly, then the last sound you're going to hear at the end of davening is the tekiah gedayla. The last sound that Klai was going to hear, let me tell you something. You don't need Rosh Hashanah to hear in our generation and in our friends and our community. I hear a lot of tekiahs during the year. I don't have to wait for Rosh Hashanah. I'm going to hear a lot of people crying. I hear a lot of people broken. I hear a lot of people whimpering. There's a lot of tekiahs in Klai Yisrael. But if we, each one of us, takes on ourselves to do something and takes on ourselves to take Rosh Hashanah seriously, then Taka, the last key, it's enough. The Samachs are over. The Samach, decade of Samach, Samach is a letter that's enclosed. It's four sides. It's not a happy letter, Samach. Even though it stands for Samech Neuflim, but the Samach is not a happy letter. It's an enclosed letter. There's no way out. The Samach is a square. You feel boxed in. There's nowhere to go. The Ayin is an open letter. The ayin is an open letter. It's made from a yud and a zayin, which is 17, which is, which is the gematria toiv. It's a new decade. We're going into a new decade. So my bracha to everyone is that we should talk, have the schutz, that Hashem should hear our tzkiyah shvaram, uh, trua, 
And he should give us taka this chus to hear the tzikir gedayla in our own lives and in Klai Yisrael's lives and in the whole the whole world's lives. Should taka be a tiyash nas ashiris. It should be a year of wealth, not wealth only monetarily, but wealth with having children and shiduchim and wealth with having happiness and Torah and mitzvahs and being close to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Should all have a ksima taiva. Shimon wants to say a word, and then um, I'm, we're going we're gonna to wait five minutes to daven, because instead of going right to davening, because I know guys down my, but I want to hold you back, we're going to give out the zisa honey, the sweet honey for my Rebbe, Rebbe Gamliel, which will be a bracha for all of you. If you need an extra one to give to your parents, or whatever it is, I, mean, I think we have a hundred here, so I think we'll have some extra. And we talk, we should um, not, not lose anybody in class for all this year, and only have new children, and, and uh, only go to Simchus. I want you to have a good bench to you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.